Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to Humans of Speedway. If this is your first time, well, you're very welcome. And in this podcast, we generally just chat about Speedway with some of the figures from Speedway from both sides of the fence, not necessarily riders, but also other officials, team managers, and anyone else associated with the sport of note, really. But we are speaking with a rider this time, someone who's ridden for over 20 clubs across British Speedway through his long career, and he's still going in 2023. He's doing a great job for commentary in the Elite as well, under a bit of pressure here from uh, Josh Orty late on, but Adam Roynan wins a race and there's plenty of Heathens fans in the crowd that are yeah. delighted with that. Adam Roynan, our guest on Humans of Speedway, a hugely popular and a hugely talented rider who's come back from some huge setbacks through the course of his career to continue riding even in 2023, where he's going to be lining up with the Pool Pirates, another of the big names of the sport. Through the course of his career, he won the Premier League title, which is now known as the Championship title, with the Rye House Rockets. He's also been the Conference Riders champion and won the Premier League pairs with the Workington Comets and has his eye on more silverware in 2023 as well. Adam's also made the move into the Speedway commentary box recently as part of the BSN commentary team and has been alongside me reporting on some of the big moments in the championship Speedway season at the back end of 2022. And I'm looking forward to hearing about his dream Speedway meeting as well. Who'd be in his all-time 1-7? to We'll find out soon. First, though, welcome Adam Roynan. How you doing? You all right? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, let's hope it's a good one. Um, I'm good, thanks. And nice to speak to you. And let's start this at the end of last year, really, because you had a good season, I think, on the whole in 2022. And you were getting back to, to the form that we know you're capable of, I think. And and you started with Red Car. It didn't work out there. You ended up at Scunthorpe. But you, I remember you saying to me that you needed more meetings. You needed more track time you know, to get yourself back to where you know you can be. And it felt at the end of the season you were getting that momentum and then maybe it sort of all wrapped up at the point where you were starting to feel like you're getting somewhere. Would that be would that be fair to say and a fair assessment of, of how it went for you last year? 
Yeah, I felt like most people towards the end of the season were kind of happy for the season to be to be nearly over and they can go and have a rest. Where it was actually my only my second full season without injury um, in the sport, so I was. I didn't want the season to end. I didn't want any of it to finish. Um, I didn't want October to end. I just wanted to just yeah carry on. But um, yeah, the winter's upon us, and I, I felt like I had a, a good year. It was you're always learning in the speedway, whether whether you're at, like at the back or you're winning races. You're always learning. You've always got to take something from it. So I felt I felt it was a, it was a good year, um, and. It set myself up really well for, for 2023, which is which is just a, another good stepping stone for me. Let's talk about 2023 then, because uh, people might know by now, or maybe they won't, but in 2023, you will be lining up for the reigning League and Cup champions. You're joining the Pool Pirates. Um, you had some choices to make, though. You had um, a lot of offers from around Speedway, and so there was a decision to be made for you, but I guess the Pool Pirates name stood out for you. Um, and you're also racing in the National League as well. So tell us about your thought process when it when it comes to you, your teams for 2023. The championship was my main priority, and um, I felt like I've, I've gone to a... Well, had a I had a dream move um, in going to, to Pool, to Pool Pirates, um, which they've won the won the league for two years in a row. Um, you're going to the champions. You're going to a professional club that are ambitious, and having not won a a league trophy since 2007 with Rye House, it feels like that's just another thing that can um, add to my CV of of time in the sport. Um, if, if if we win win something, but it's always a, a, a chance with a club that are aiming high. The Pool Pirates name is is a big one in Speedway, isn't it? You know, people all over the world know the name of the Pool Pirates. A big, big club name in in Speedway. It's one that you've never ridden for in your career before. So, I know that when you had the um, you know the offer for you, it was maybe too good opportunity to turn down you know these these op- offers don't come along every, every day um but you have spent time around the club so you, you do know um a, a lot of the the people around there because you were Danny King's mechanic in the 2021 season title winning season of course so you know how to set a bike up for for Wimborne Road, that's for sure and, and undoubted. But you know when you turn up at Pool that the facilities are going to be good. You've got great staff there. You've got um, great support. You've got great management, professional operation, all the rest of it. So that must set you up knowing that you're going out as a Pool Pirate. It must give you an extra boost of confidence from the whole um, infrastructure, but also the history of the club as well. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's no sort of negatives um, with, with this club. It's just... Uh... Yeah, it's positives all the way through. Like you say, the track, everything from the changing rooms to the pit setup, everything just works well, and that's why they obviously achieve what they do. And and every rider that goes to the club wants to do the best. And once you put the pool race jacket on, I imagine it's a different feeling. It's the same feeling for me when I put the Coventry race jacket on. Um, so I imagine it's just you go into another um legendary club of the sport, and yeah, I, I just. I'm aiming to do do great things there and really pick up from where I left off last year. And you're going to be racking up the miles because we can also say that you will be representing the Edinburgh Monarchs Academy in the National Development League as well, which is going to be uh, exciting. And um, quite a, a different track perhaps from Poole, a bit tighter around Armadale. Uh, how do you go around there? 
Yeah, I, I'll be honest, it's not one of my favourites, but uh, you've got to ride everywhere. And I'm hoping that as I'm going to be doing more laps around there with um, with the Devils, then that'll help me for going there in the in the championship because the track it's the same shape, whether it's got different material on it to to create different grip and racing lines. That'll be be remain to be seen, but. It's just getting more laps at a track that I, I don't always like, but can go good there. So it's just it's just getting confidence, really, and that's what the National League's all about. And if I can give back to um, the other other members of the team um, and sort of like help them progress in, in the sport as well, then, then I'm more than happy to do that. And the other thing from last season, of course, many people will have maybe heard you speak for the first time um, when you uh, joined the commentary commentary team at uh, with us at BSN. And you know your insight, and I think people will learn this now through this through this podcast. I hope because you, you're going to say some great things, I'm sure. Um, but your knowledge of Speedway really came through. You know, I think it's easy sometimes for riders to stand there and, and sort of just say what they're seeing, but you offered a real insight into why riders do things, why tracks are maybe like that. Even, you know, a rider that's withdrawn with an injury and, you know, I remember somebody having an injury and you were like, oh, that's going to hurt. There's no way he's going to be able to continue with that. You know, you've got a lot of experience of both the setups of the bikes, of the tracks, and of course, riding the bike as well. So you offered this extra sort of level of insight, and you know you're a, I, I, you're so knowledgeable on speedway. I, you know you know the sport inside out, and you know that I think that's what really came across. People really, you know, understood what was going on more. Yeah, I've had a long a long time to study it. I've uh, I've known about it since I was able to think. So um, yeah, I've, I've speedway's been my whole life. Um, I've watched it through. Um, the late 80s and 90s and then coming into it to race myself uh, in the early 2000s. Um, I've just been around it a very, very long time. I've seen the the good, the bad, the high, the lows. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a great sport to be involved in. And I'm very, very fortunate and honoured to, to be a part of it and, and still be able to, to race, race the bike and, and travel the country and, and do something that I love. No, it's been a great insight and, and you know, many people have, have enjoyed hearing you on, on BSN too and it's been great working alongside you. Um, let's talk about your journey into Speedway though because often my first question is, you know, how did Speedway find your way and find its way into your family? But for you, um, it's um, it's an interesting one because your dad was a rider. Dad uh, was Chris Roynan um, and he rode for Plymouth and Barrow workington in his career through like the late 60s and through the 70s to the early 80s but you come along in the mid 80s so you wouldn't have seen him riding but obviously speedways in your family how did um how did you get introduced to speedway um in, in that respect thing so your dad was still sort of hanging around tracks i imagine was he how did the uh, from all i can remember is obviously just going to speedway to different um venues uh going to coventry to uh the Golden Greats uh, meetings that they had there where all the, the Expo champions and great riders would all come and take part. And I remember them sort of meetings that he'd always take me to and we'd go to the odd Grand Prix as a, as a kid and um, to the odd league meeting watching Cradley Heath when they race at Stoke um, and things like that. I'd just been around Spears such such a long time. My dad would even take me for journeys out in the car for, for, for days out just to visit the old sites of speedway tracks where they used to be. And I was just like, 
right, okay. So I, we just used to turn up at like a, like a rubble yard where it had just been knocked down and never replaced. And it's like, oh, the speedway used to be. And I'd be like, right, okay, <laughs> brilliant. And and, and now we'll be on to the next one. So I've literally been to every speedway venue that the country's ever had. Um, but it, it was it was on the flip side. It was great to be involved in a sport where you had the background knowledge of what was what was in order for you. Like so, you could always ask me dad a question, and he'd always have an answer or be able to get to an answer for me. So um, I learned a lot off him, and just just being able to get rides places because of the people that he knew and things where a lot of riders struggle if they don't know the personnel or the, the management or the the officials to ask and say, oh, look, can I get a ride? I was always lucky that they say, oh, we're at the curfew, but they'd say, oh, yeah, go on, Adam, you have you have one more ride. And I was very fortunate. That that was obviously down to, to me, me old man's um, involvement within the sport. And yeah, it's always it's always difficult, I imagine, to come into a into a sport, any sport, that you don't have the knowledge, like mechanical knowledge that you need, like Speedway. And he had all that. Like I, I never once touched a, a bike until I had to, because he would always do always do everything for me. So uh, yeah, I, that probably wasn't the best thing, but it it helped me to just concentrate on racing, which was was ideal for me. And um, yeah, it was. I've got a lot to a lot to thank him for to be where I am now. That's half the battle with Speedway, though, isn't it? It's it's not an easy sport to get into. You you have to know somebody involved in it really to you know in whatever form to sort of introduce you. It's not a it's not a sport. You just go down to his shop and buy a bike and and away you go. Like say maybe no. motocross, is it? No, that's it. And there's so many different like to, to people don't realise that when you um, race uh, Speedway, you might race for four or five minutes a night. Because I know you're out on the track for longer with the two minutes you have to get to the start line and things, but you're actually racing for around four or five minutes, depending on your, your place in the team and um, how many rides you get. But after them, the minutes of, of racing have taken place, you go back, and I would average for a proper stripped down bike wash and put back together ready for the next meeting is a minimum of six hours. And people don't appreciate that the riding for such a short space of time that you are really doing the the maintenance and the upkeep of the bikes is such is such a long time because you don't want anything going wrong in the time that you are racing so uh i remember jason crumpy asked me uh, a couple of years ago he said he asked me um what probably was one of the first things he's ever said to me in my life but he, he realized i was working for danny king and he said so he said adam how long does it take you to clean a bike and i said as long as it takes and he said good answer so i like i, I must have passed this sort of questionnaire thing so uh yeah it's just a, the, the bikes take so long to um to prepare and if you don't have the knowledge of how to do it you can quickly become unstuck at, or stuck at meetings and um yeah it, it's going to be hard unless someone there is knowledgeable and willing to help you then you can quickly get um get lost in it all really but it's it is a hard sport. It's an easy sport once you know it, but to get to know all these little bits and pieces it is um, is very hard. But yeah, you never stop learning. Like Greg Hancock always said, you just he, he still learned every meeting that he, he took part in, and he was able to to race to a, a, a great old age. So um, yeah, it's it's a fantastic sport. It's got so many different elements to it that um, that's what makes it so different to to everything else. 
So when you were a, a young lad then and you've been taking around these um, derelict sites of where speedway tracks used to be, what, did, were, you, were you like so many you know, kids, um, race jacket on, flicking out the back end of the BMX or whatever, you know, was that, is that how you kind of, is that how you originally started? And, and, and who was your sort of, your idol yeah. when you were younger, when you were that age, before you kind of properly got involved? What was your, your background there? My, my main idol was Gary Havelock. I wanted the dreadlocks. I wanted everything. I wanted, uh, I wanted the whole works because um, I, was, I was only four years old when um, he was, was world champion. And he was, just, he was um, just, just the one to look at at that time. And then forever more on, on then, it was, um, it was him that I looked at. But yeah, I had a, a patioed, um, it was kind of a relatively big back garden. We had a patioed... Uh, area and i used to throw sand down on it and then just pedal my bike around in a circle and do a skid but without the back brake on and stuff and then um yeah that was i just it must have done over a million laps of just going left in in my back garden easily in, in my time from, from a bmx bike to a monkey bike to a pit bike to a scooter to anything just just go left that's all i know really <laughs> Um, that makes me feel quite old, actually. Get you a four when Javi won the world title. I was, I remember going to because I used to go to Bradford a lot, and um, and I remember you know that season Javi won it, and him coming back and having that presentation where he was like taken round on this big trike around Odsall, and as a it was I mean it, it was I found out he won it by phoning the um, the Bradford club call. No way. <laughs> yeah, the oh eight nine eight number. Because <laughs> we didn't have uh, we didn't have Eurosport. No, I remember phoning up, and on... it might even have been Nigel Pearson. Teletext was it not on Teletext? Yeah, it, it might have been on Teletext, but I think the Teletext was slow updating, so we we splashed out and phoned the oh eight nine eight number. Nice. It's like <laughs> we need to find out what's happened, and it was like somebody was on the phone, like going, "Gary Avalok has won the world speedway title," and that's how I found out on the phone. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> Oh, how life's progressed from that. That is amazing. So moving on, like the, the, my history of the of being in speed race. So I've gone from looking at Gary Havelock as, as an idol, as a hero, to then racing against him for Rye House when he was riding for Red Car in his early days of when he went to the Premier League. Then I was then joined him at Red Car as a teammate and then got to ride three and four with him and get the odd 5-1. So that was like an amazing thing for me. Then... He has his injury and things, and I go to Coventry, and then he becomes team manager at Coventry. So I, I, I build up a, a like a better friendship with him there, and then from that, I've actually become like really good friends with him. And the whole circle of how it goes round, how you get have an idol, and then you can meet him, and he said, "Don't meet your idols," but I'd, if for anyone to meet someone like Gary Havelock, who is an idol, it's um. It's just it's sensational, and now I'm very, very privileged and, and honoured to to have done so. And now heading back to Pool and working with him again, probably working with him again. Yeah. So, and anything he says to me, I, I'll do. So if he says, um, right from gate four, just make a ripper, get it to the curb, and look for your teammate coming around the outside. Anything like that, I'll, I'm like, yes, boss, not a problem. <laughs> Good stuff. So um, you were doing a few, uh, you know. What you have to do, really? The um, was there a youth system as such then, or was it just really getting the time you can in the in the after after the meetings and whatever? Yeah, it's just kind of getting the after the meeting things. Um, we actually parked um, the family caravan down on Somerset Speedway's car park. We knew the owner, um, Bill Hancock, and 
he let us park the caravan on there and I would spend the whole of the, the, the school summer holidays with my dad in the caravan traveling around to St. Austell, to Reading, to Swindon, um, to any track that was would allow second half of practice and, and just do that for the whole of the, the five, six weeks that, that I could. So, um, yeah, I should have been maybe studying or reading a book, but the book was a Speedway star. So that's all I really read and looked at. So that's, why, that's where my knowledge of Speedway comes from. I should have read Horrible History or something, but um, it said it was Speedway star and, and then what averages all the riders were on at that time. So, uh, yeah, so that, so that was, there's no really, no youth system, not as good as what it is today. The, the youth have, have got it really good nowadays. And Neil Vatcher and the people behind that have, have um, well, they're doing a great job with, with the boys and hopefully get it to somewhere a bit like what Poland has it and just a, a continuous conveyor belt of youngsters coming through to, um, to, to back up the big ones at the top. Yeah, it is It is a different world. But you, you then obviously start to get some rides. And um, I think, what was it really, did you get a ride at Coventry? Was that your, one of your first ones? And there was there was a few, wasn't there? Coventry, maybe Kings Lynn. You... Yeah, it's, it's funny because Coventry, um, I, was only, I was only 15 when I rode there, but I, I rode there for Bellevue Colts. Um, I was, so they were just a challenge match or something. And we used to speak to um, like Colin Pratt and Peter Oakes that um, were there at the time, and and it would never allow someone as young as me to have a ride after the meeting. Um, they didn't want to know, didn't want to do anything. So I went there and I I had four second places from number three, and then I won heat fifteen. And then as soon as I came back in the pits, Pratty wanted to sign me then as a comedy asset. He'd like. All that, all the the bits of your, you know, you can't ride here. It was quickly changed, and no, oh, we want to do everything for you. So, um, yeah, that was that was quite. It was nice, and I was kind of like one of the first youngsters that kind of um, got the the contract offers from from the big clubs of, of that sort of era of that time, where I signed for for five hundred pound for for Coventry um, as like as a as a full time contract, and I heard that. Um, other riders had gone to other rivaling big clubs for figures like five thousand and stuff. So I was kind of the first one, just sort of like setting out the marker. And um, yeah, some of them riders aren't even riding anymore. But um, yeah, it's not all about the money. It's all about the enjoyment and getting to where where you can, however you can. So what would you consider your your first real club to be? Because you you. You had quite a few rides for Glasgow, didn't you? Uh, in that was it, two thousand and five kind of era. Yeah, I was, I was I was at Swindon the day after my fifteenth birthday. That was um, a, a Conference League match at Buxton, which I won my first race. So that was good in heat two. Um, so Swindon was so was that um, was uh, Mildenhall. Glasgow was the first one for when I was um, in the Premier League with with Glasgow. Um, we won the treble with Mildenhall uh, in the Conference League when I was was fifteen. So that was an absolute joy to to have that. Um, the, the the first I, I honestly I've had that many many clubs here and it's been it's hard to know which one is actually gold. <laughs> They've all been brilliant in their own right. But then, uh, I suppose Rye House that that era, you, you had you had a couple of years there, didn't you? And um, you won the the what is now the Championship League title <clears throat> in a in a team that had 
you know, riders like uh, a young Ty Woffenden alongside you as well. So, you know, that that was like a solid team around then, wasn't it? That, that Rye House Rockets team of that era. It was a, it was a, a brilliant team. Um, me and Ty started at reserve and everywhere we went, we just got a 5-1 home or away. And it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a good way to start the team's um, chances of, of the league title off. And uh, yeah, he progressed up the team. I got, we're all, I think we all finished on, around about a seven point average from like one to seven. So it was a really strong team. And uh yeah, there was it was just of that era, it was just how it how it happened happened to play out. And um it was it was a great team. We had Chris Neef leading from the front, um Tommy Allen, he was he was brilliant. Stefan Egberg, Steve Boxall, Luke Bowen, all riders that perhaps don't really ride much anymore. Um but yeah, at the time it was a superb team to be involved in and um it all started off from Len Silver taking us away skiing before the season. I think it just gelled us all really, really well, and we were able to to just take that into the season and just enjoy just enjoy the racing. None of us really got downhearted if we'd had a bad ride because one of the other teammates would have picked us up. And um, yeah, we all just wanted to to win not only for ourselves but for the whole team. And I think that's what. Um, really took us through right till the end for to get the title. Yeah, I remember seeing um, Rye House with Ty, and probably uh, I imagine yourself maybe riding as well at Sheffield. I think and around then, and you know, it was just night and day from some of the other teams that have been there. I think Sheffield always have this strong advantage, and I remember them having a you know a tough night that night. And it was you know the Sheffield natives can get a bit restless when uh, when things aren't going hundred percent their way. And but I think it, at the time there was a bit of a fuss about Ty Wuffenden because Ty had obviously started his career at Sheffield and that connection with Neil Machen and everything. And yeah, <clears throat> so yeah. the, the Sheffield fans kind of knew what to expect. And then he turned up and, and delivered in the way that he did. And it was like, you know, but yeah, he never, well, he wrote, he rode the one meeting for, for Sheffield, didn't he? I think his first, his first ever professional meeting as such. And that's the only time he rode because he felt it was a bit awkward with, with Machen and all. So he went off to Rye House. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think that's, yeah, he was, it was always interesting anywhere that Rye House went as a team, because Rye House was so slick, like having no dirt on the track, and um, yeah, just like wasn't you actually didn't even get a blue groove, just but just slick the whole time. Anywhere we travelled to away from home was always like a ploughed field, and it was to try and like turn us over. So we went to Exeter or something. It would just be just like a just horrific to get around same as Sheffield they put a ton of dirt on it I say a ton a ton per square yard because it was just so hard to get around um but we eventually battled battled through that and we started winning races away from home against the the clubs that were expecting to do us over and I think that's the the whole like with Woofy, he was he, he learned his his trade really well. Um, coming over riding the slicks of of Rye House, and then like Sheffield for example, he, he grew up on that sort of track. Um, back in Australia, and and when he first came over here, so he was like wasn't daunted by it. So yeah, and when you go out and see your, your teammates going out and pulling out race wins like like Ty did or or Chris Neath did, then it really spurs you on to do the same. And I think that's really important in, in a team to have people who lead from the front and um, it sort of like drags the others along with them. 
Adam Roynan, our guest on Humans of Speedway. Still lots to come. And Adam there talking about riding alongside Ty Wolfenden in that Rye House team uh, in his uh, younger days. And Adam and Ty were both equally highly rated as they were coming through the younger ranks of British Speedway. And obviously the two riders had have had very different careers. Um, one of the key reasons for that is injury in Adam's case. And how bad luck really has uh, sent the two riders in different directions we'll talk more about some of those catastrophic injuries that adam has had through the course of his career in just a couple of moments here on humans of speedway hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply this podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. My guest in this episode is Adam Roynan. Now, before we continue, don't forget to give this podcast um, a like or a subscribe or give us a review because that helps other people find it and feel free to share it with your friends as well. And if you're new to Humans of Speedway, well, the good news is there's uh, about two years worth of uh, previous podcasts to go back through. So listen to some of the the old ones as well. But right now in the present of 2023 with Adam Roynan, who this year will be lining up for the Pool Pirates, but he's also ridden in the past for the likes of the Coventry Bees, the Sheffield Tigers and the Scunthorpe Scorpions, Red Car Bears and uh, a few others as well. Uh, <clears throat> now, Adam, we people will think of you sometimes as as being an unlucky rider but actually i think quite the opposite i think that you must be one of the luckiest riders because some of the injuries and the circumstances that you've come back from are quite phenomenal and you've defied the odds you've defied doctor's expectations at times as well and i know you're quite philosophical about the path that this has sent you on but just sort of talk about one or two of those incidents like 
for example, the the training crash at Kings Lynn. You know, this was a training meeting. It wasn't an actual um, speedway meeting, a league meeting or anything like that. And you just had some bad luck on the day. It was the, the way your cards were dealt, a problem with a bike. And, you know, that could have happened to anybody that day, but it happened to you. And frankly, it put you on the brink of, of death's door, didn't it? And you came back from that and amazed doctors. Yeah, just circumstances, the way it evolved, it, like it falls for you. There. Everyone has a, a path in life. It's just which path you choose to go down. And um, some things that have happened to me are out of my out of my control. But like, like you say, Ian, it always could have been a lot worse. So even though, yes, I've broken my femur and my leg was facing the other way and my ankle was kind of behind me, that could have snapped... Um, the main artery in my leg and I could have bled to death but I didn't so therefore you have a pin down it and you carry on riding the same year and breaking your back twice yeah that's people don't often do that once let alone twice but then I carried on riding afterwards and um, just trying to mentally get through not just because I'm, I'm stupid and, and I'm an idiot I just love the sport and racing so much that I just thought I was winded because I've had so many injuries that I've kind of built up a bit of a tolerance towards pain. So that's that's not ever a, a good thing, but um, it helps for, for instances like that. Um, yeah, the, 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 the training accident for, for Great Britain at Kings Lynn, it was just one of them situations. It could have happened to where well, it happened to me, but it could have happened to other people. So, um, yeah, I, I was very fortunate that I was able to be still a part of this world and and continue on because it could have been so so very different i know that the they called my my mum um who was up in cumbria and said look you, you need to get down to the hospital now because he's got 50 50 chance if he'll make it the night so um when i them things to me doesn't matter to me because i'm here now so it doesn't really i don't dwell on that too much but i imagine for someone else like like a parent that would be quite a like horrendous thing to be to be listening to and um yeah just ev everything happens for a reason i believe that good things happen to to good people so um yes i have had the the unluckiest run in speedway but it always could have been worse i'm still going people break the the their arm once and then think oh this isn't for me and, and gone well, i've broken my left arm three times my right arm twice my collarbone three times um it's just just one of these things that just it, it builds you a mental strength that you're able to sort of control and deal with anything within life so this part of speedway or sorry that part of speedway has has really opened my eyes to the, the outside world and what actually can go on so I'm, i feel like i can face anything and yeah just just still enjoying what I'm doing. I'm not. I don't. If any of these incidences would have been my fault, and I'm putting myself in hospital each time, then I would have packed it in for my own safety. But it's never really been my own fault. So therefore, I continue to keep going and think it always could be worse. Speedway is a sport that, you know, it, it, you are going to get injured. 
frankly, at some point. But for the things that you've experienced, you know, the very worst ones, broken backs, broken necks, being in a coma and all, all this kind of stuff, how does that affect you as a rider going out on the track once you are back fit again and lining up in a competitive race? Does it, does it affect how you ride? Does it affect your, you know, your sort of mental concentration or, or the way that you deal with a race at all in any way? Are you riding safer? as a result and, and trying not to get involved in, in these kind of incidents? Um, it's hard to say because once you've got that helmet on and you're in the race mode, you don't think of of any of them things really. You just, you're just going for it to, to get yourself the win or to, to pass the guy in front of you or just to hold on to the lead or just whatever it may be. Um, but I suppose subconsciously you are thinking of those things and um, I studied psychology at A-level, um, which really gave me a lot more food for thought as regards of what I should be to do, be doing to be able to, to help myself in these situations. Like just being more alert, more aware, watch how the track's changing, watch how other riders are just being chaotic and being lunatics. So um, I've, I've learned a, a, an awful lot through through Speedway that's helped me, like I said, just for the rest of life. It could have been so much, much different. And it could have been so much better as well. But I'm just still happy to be doing what I'm doing at this stage. And um, anything I can give back to the sport, what it's, it's given to me, I'm, I'm well, well happy to be doing. And you are still doing it in 2023, as we know. Um, you've had quite a few clubs in your time, and there's various reasons for that. And, and sometimes that's your average not fitting, you know, maybe too successful. Um, and then there's there's the times, of course, where you want to make a decision of where you want to be based on, on your career. And and maybe sometimes, of course, injury gets in the way and, and forces you to, to have to find a new place to ride once you've, you've come back uh, fitter again. Um, you did have another big crash, didn't you? At the end of the the sort of the twenty teens, the twenty eighteen, then by the time you'd you'd come back, the COVID situation happened. Yeah, a few clubs, and it's been uh, it's been good all the way through. Like I, I don't ever want to keep moving from club to club. It's just the way that averages fall, um, and the way that you might go well at one track, particularly that season, and you think, oh, he'll do a good job here for us. So yeah, it's, it's just how it happens, and. Um, it was kind of good that uh, COVID happened, really, because I did end up with um, a quite a serious injury uh, in 2018 where my my throttle jammed open uh, down around Isle of Wight. And um, you, you're entering the corners, uh, like, sort of 70 mile an hour around there. And um, my throttle stuck wide open, entering the first bend. But um, Alfie Bortel was in front of me. And what what you should do in them situations is just get off the bike like and just get rid and and let it do its thing and, and sort of keep yourself safe but i knew if i um just jumped off the bike or let it let it do its thing then alfie would have been hurt as well so i sacrificed myself to avoid like hurting him which was yeah like, a brave thing for me to do but it uh it also meant that i was Luckily enough, like 13 hours away from the, the time frame as what an arm can be broken for um, from having it like amputated because it passed the point of the bone healing. But um, I was fortunate enough to know the right people in the right areas because um, when, when you're on the Isle of Wight and they, they say to you, look, we've got no one on this island that can repair your arm. 
And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, we can't give you any painkillers because you're not a, um, we, we can't admit you to, to the hospital or to the ward or anything. So all we can do is send you back to the mainland and go and find yourself a hospital. So them things, you're just like, oh, Christ, I've got a broken army. It's, it's broken in 26 places, but I've now got to go and find myself someone that can fix this. So I just headed straight back up the up the motorway and then went to my, my chiropractor, actually. And um, I say he was like, he was a bit shocked and a bit um, flabbergasted. He was like, why, why are you here? Why are you not in hospital? And I said, because I need to come to you because hopefully you could point me in the direction of... Um, of where I need to go to have this op- operated on. So I went then to, to Coventry Hospital. They said they didn't have any appointments for until the the following Tuesday or something, which was four days' time. And I just I just took it as, oh, okay, no problem. So I called him, told him about it. And then at 2.30 in the morning, I had a call from the hospital telling me to be in at 6.30 because they've got an emergency operation booked in for me to, to have me rescued and save my arm. And if it wasn't for the people that I knew and went to, then I would have, I had have been long gone out of the sport and armless. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, just, it's just the way that life works. And yeah, for, if I didn't, um, have these, these accesses to people that have this knowledge, then I would be a lot worse off, um, than I am now. Jeez. Yeah. Um, that's, that's incredible. But, you were also pretty um pretty good with your own body now you know you've had so much happen to it um you've invested in various medical gear at times to to help give yourself a better chance at recovery um you, you're a bit of a dab hand at various medical techniques and sort of treat yourself in in some respects rather than bother the local gp and yep. you know you, you've you've i suppose you've had so much happen to you that you you have sort of become a bit of an amateur doctor based on your own conditions and the things that you've that you know work for you yeah a health weirdo <laughs> that's one way of putting it <laughs> it's only it's only weird if you make it weird but it's, it's not it's uh it's off the beaten path of what normal people do but i just i just figure like Everyone, it can help everyone in 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 life um, to, to to be have the right sort of like uh, body body f- layout format, the way that your body wants to be tret and um, positioning and it, all things like that. It all helps for it all can help everyone. So I'm not only just learning for myself; I'm helping other people that with the knowledge that I've gained. So. Yeah, it's it's just something for also after Speedway because Speedway doesn't last forever. No, it certainly doesn't. Um, but um, hopefully it'll last a little bit longer yet. What what would be your um, you know your, your stories that you dine out on? The, the, you know the 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 good moments in in Speedway for you that you that you look back on your sort of proud moments as such. There's been a lot. I mean, finishing a season uninjured that's quite up there. <laughs> that's uh... <laughs> congrats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it's happened twice. Winning the the the. Premier League best pairs um, with Rennie back at Somerset just the, the day before Cardiff. That was um, that was a hell of a thing because it was a good lineup back in them days, and um, it was kind of it was planned. I came in as a replacement, but as I was, I was number three. I was number three in the averages, but they could pick one of the first one had to be there, and then the second or third had to be there. So it was always planned that Richard Lawson would be there. But Richard said, look, I'm not 
I'm not feeling the, the, the best right now, like on, on good form. So I want you to, to race instead of it. So I knew like a month before that I would have been racing it, but it wasn't until the day that they announced it um, and things. So, um, yeah, a lot goes on behind the scenes, but I, mean, I suppose winning, winning the best pairs, that was good because then you go to Cardiff and you have a good night out and, um, yeah, things like that. Uh, I, I, the highlight of Speed was just meeting all the different people and things and all the different avenues that people go down and just enjoying the buzz of, of racing. Um, it's like nothing else. Uh, the adrenaline that you, you get from going flat out at the start and just racing to that first corner and then getting into the front, that, that feel-good factor that it gives you is is like, is like nothing else I've ever experienced. So that's what just keeps bringing me back and um, itching to, to get more of it. Adam Roynan, our guest on Humans of Speedway. And next, we're going to discover how Adam's dream Speedway meeting might go. What would be his ideal track, the stadium, who'd be in his all-time one to seven? These are just some of the questions we'll be asking Adam in the next part of Humans of Speedway. You're listening to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan, and our guest in this episode is Adam Roynan. Now, Adam has um, well a lifetime of experience in Speedway, frankly, and uh, he's known Speedway since he can very first remember. But how would his dream Speedway meeting look? Now, this is a feature that we do in every episode of Humans of Speedway, or certainly 99% of them, uh, where we ask our guests to create their dream Speedway meeting. And the questions are as follows. Which track would you choose for the racing? Which stadium would you put that track in? Who'd been your all-time one to seven? Who'd be the referee? Which one rule would you change? And who would be the opposition? Those are the questions. And now we turn the attention to Adam Roynan. I don't know many people more knowledgeable about Speedway than Adam Roynan. And um, let's uh, see where this takes us, because I think it'll be good. Um, Adam, now over to you. So... um, if you're picking a track purely for the racing, which would it be? So I've never rode it, but I've been to it and seen many video footages of it, and it would be Bradford for me. Yes. Now you're talking. Come on. Um, I mean, Bradford is the the club that I you know grew up going to see as a youngster and probably spoiled, really, watching Speedway Week in with you there. Bugger. I know. And, and you didn't realise how how good it was, you know, and I wish we could go back there and, and see it again now because it was incredible. And those who know, know, but if you if you never saw Bradford, well, phew, tell you. Yeah, and the way that the riders would just sort of like hurtle into the corners and then just just rail around the outside and, and, and come out maybe four or five bike lengths in the front coming out of the fourth turn or something. It was just a, an awesome track. Um, I know that Javi often tells me stories about riding around there um, you watch Joe Screen and things. It's just, just a, a, a brilliant shape, um, a good racing surface, and yeah, it just it just looked a phenomenal, phenomenal track. It was. Uh, it's a shame that it's. Well, it's obviously going now, but it was a shame that we can't ride it as what it was back in back in the day because it looked a looked a joy to ride. Well, Have used his soy's um, handlebars down, didn't he? He had like narrow handlebars so he could get even close to the fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then just sort of, yeah, just just took his elbows in and just just rally across the, the the tops of the fence. Yeah, it was, 
I, the videos I've seen of him around there is is superb and um yeah just a just a brilliant shape and I know that some tracks have tried to sort of like mold themselves off that in but they've never come anywhere close to it um but yeah that would be my track where I'd, I'd want to a race meeting to be at and um, if you want to find out more about Bradford, we've got a couple of um, previous Bradford episodes. We've got Kelvin Tatum, uh, also got um, Gary Havelock himself as well, talking about his times there. So look, listen back to some of those uh, those previous episodes for times of Bradford. Um, so the Bradford track, um, I mean, in its day, Odsall was, uh, was one of the places to be a long time ago. Um, but which stadium would you put the Bradford track in, Adam? Let's assume it's a, a good turnout. You know, it's going to be full. Be, it, would, it would be jam-packed. It would be, it would be a sellout. Wembley. Wembley. The old Wembley. Oh, you see, the Bradford track in Wembley. Be good, Imagine. Yeah. Imagine. I know, it, I know it's obviously a bit smaller or whatever, um, the track, but just to have it fit in like that with, um, obviously, the pits would have to be different and all that crap, but, um, yeah, just have the atmosphere um, I often watch the um, the Bruce Pennell 81 World Final. There's two clips of him against Ollie Olsen and uh, Tommy Knudsen. Yes. And the, the atmosphere is just electric. And if that, that doesn't get the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up, then not, nothing will. And I just imagine if that, that sort of racetrack creating that sort of action in a stadium like that with the, the attendance like that, it would just be... Yeah, like nothing else. Eh? Oh, it's only a dream, but it would uh, it'd be a good <laughs> I, uh, I think there'll be a lot of people like to see that. Um, so let's look at some riders then. If you're going to put you together, you're, you're all time one to seven. Who's going in the Team Roynan? So I would go number one, Brucey, Bruce Pennell. Yes, Bruce Pennell. Um, just, yeah, an amazing guy. I was fortunate enough to meet him back in 2016 when uh, me and James Sargent went to uh, America racing. Um, we, we stayed with Brock Nichols' family. Um, but, yeah, they managed to get us to meet up with Bruce, and it was an absolute honour. James didn't really have a clue, really, who he really was, and I was just starstruck. So, uh, yeah, it was that was a great moment for, for me. Um, and then at number two... I'd have Danny King. Yes. Now you you were uh, his his right hand spanner man season before last. Yep. Um, he's been a, been one of me, me best friends in in Speedway for for a long long time. Um, I just like the way he conducts himself, the way he has a never say die attitude, always gives a hundred percent. Um, he's very thorough in how he he does everything in life, whether it's hoovering or racing a Speedway bike. He's just yeah, he's, he's a brilliant person. So I'd have him at number two. At number three, no surprise, I'd have Gary Havelock. Avi, Avi, Avi. Um, that one answers itself, I think. That answers itself. At number four, my um, all-time favourite rider, um, Yara Campbell, just because he's had, a, he's had a few injuries. That's not something I should go to straight away, but he's had a few injuries, come back, still managed to finished second and third in the world um, on separate occasions. And, yeah, he's. He, I've just liked his style. And I was also fortunate enough to meet him in Poland um, as well. Uh, we were in a in a, an, um, an office, in a, like a, a club office in Ostrov um, after they'd just, just done a meeting. And I was ready to sign sign some paperwork for the, for the next year. And then 
there was Chris Harris was in there, and I came in and sat on the table, and then Yarrick came in and he sat on the table, and um, Bomber knew that on my on my screensaver on my phone I had a picture of of Yarrick on there, and um, Chris thought it'd be funny to try and take the the mick out of me the fact that I had Yarrick as a picture on my screen. Um, so he said, he said, oh, Yarrick, he said, have a look at Adam's phone and, and, and see what he's got on his screen. So I showed him it and um, he, he thought it was amazing. So I actually doubly backfired on Bomber and uh, Yarrick passed me his number. And then um, I got injured a few years after that, but he messaged me to say best wishes and I hope I recover well and things. So, yeah, that was a little... Uh, a little win for me there. Nice. They say never meet your idols, but that's not always the case. And then, and then at number five, I'd have Chris Harris because he's just <laughs> bomber. He, he's he's super. He's just uh, that that true British bulldog um, attitude, and the way that every race is like a world final to him. He just uh, gives it everything he's got. He's just so so entertaining to watch. You you always know if he's at the back. Something will be happening, and um, when when uh, we, we were commentating for for BSN, and he had two poor rides in the, the riders' final at the end of the season, um, you just think this is just not like Chris Harris. And then he comes out and nearly wins three in a row, just because uh, it's not him; it's his actually his, his machinery. So um, yeah, to have someone like that in your in your squad, that it would be um, just worth its admission money alone and it'd bang you loads of points in as well so that'd be a and as we saw on bsn you know in this last season he seems to have learned how to gate as well but we all think back to bomber and and that time it was at pool wasn't it where he he got up off the deck and ran back to the pits having been run over and and it was good to go straight away yeah i don't know why he did that just that little sprint um back to the pits yeah uh it was that's just classic (laughs) classic bomber he's um yeah he's a superb human being and um yeah he would be in my team team for sure good so that's five you've got a couple left so number six i so i want strength strength in depth is what i want so i'm going to number okay. six i'm going greg hancock <laughs> it's not a bad reserve and then number seven darcy ward wow well if you're going for strength in depth that's it if, if any of the top five are having a good meeting for any reason one of these guys can come in and um Take over and just just tear it up. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty strong lineup, I have to say. There. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good lineup. It's got it's got a bit of everything in there. It's got it's got the style. It's got um, the is he going to do that? Is he not? Um, even though you know he's going to, um, you just you know that you're guaranteed action in every race. Which it's not always about um winning the meeting. It's about entertaining the fans that that turn up to to watch to watch the action so uh yeah i feel like that sort of team gives gives everything i've known so many people in the sport i could have picked 20 riders to be in this team so i hope it's a squad system <laughs> and i can put a few more in it. But, um yeah that's that's the seven i could come up with um yeah for this it's a good lineup it's a good lineup so um we're going to need a referee. Who who would be a referee of choice? I think he's the fairest and most uh, honest referee, and he's also he has a laugh and a joke with um, a serious joke with uh, with the guys in the pits before meetings. He's not 
not stuck up his own backside. Um, and so that would be for me, Chris Derno. I'd have him as the ref. I think he's. I think he's a really good referee and um, a former guest on this podcast. If you want to find out more about Chris Derno uh, and who would be in his lineup, then um, scroll back through the previous episodes. Um, <laughs> well, it's not me. <laughs> if you're going to change um, a rule um, of the fabulous rule book of British Speedway, uh, uh, what what would be that one thing from your from your point of view as a rider? What would you What would you change about the sport? So I wouldn't exactly change anything because um, the rules are there for, for a reason. I'd just add to it and I'd make mandatory for a two-minute clock to be on every centre green just in front of the start line so riders knew when that's getting down to zero, you have to be under starters' orders and be ready at the tapes because I've had it a few times last year where you've had... Um, a start restart you haven't gone back to the pits or anything you've just gone back to the start line and the start marshals he's calling you in after like 20 seconds so you've got no time to prepare your rut um and on this occasion the start got restarted again so i was there for the third time and it was actually it was at um i weighed and my starting ruts had got that deep that there was four ruts across the across gate one that were too deep for me to get in and we needed um, some points from from this race to to have any sort of chances of uh, of getting anything from the meeting. And um, yeah, he, I, mean, I just bottomed out because the start match didn't allow us enough time. We didn't like so when the two minutes start, that's got to expire. It's not just when he feels he's ready; it's got to be when the rider's ready or when the time is at least expired. I know it's a long time for for the fans and people might get bored, but it's our livelihood, our our job at the end of the day. So if we're not given the the right amount of time to be able to prepare for these things, then I think that's a bit unfair. Like all the Polish um, leagues and all, all the tracks, they all have two minute clocks on on the the centre green. To it just adds a different element to it. So riders are ready by um, the by the, the countdown ends and. Yeah, so that's the only thing I would change. Just because I've been I've been on the wrong end of it a couple of times um, last year, so that's that's one thing I'd do just to stop these um, um, power hungry start marshals dictating to us when when they they feel they're ready, we have to be ready. It's just that old thing about consistency, isn't it? You know that the same rules are applied in the same way across the board, and maybe transponders will help with that. But I don't know. We'll wait and see. That's it. Yeah, just having the same rule. And it's not. It doesn't cost an awful lot of money to be able to to put a two minute clock um, on on a centre green, and yeah, it also there's more streaming service happening in at different clubs now, so it'd just be a different thing for the cameras to look at, and people would know when when like yeah they're becoming under starters' orders. It'd also help us as commentators out to know when they're kind of getting down to. Um, down to zero seconds that we know they're going to be under orders because they can just be pulled in straight away and we've not even managed to um, reveal the, the lineup on the start and they're already at the tapes revving their engines and, and they're away to go so I feel, feel that would just be a an added sort of help um, to the sport because like I say it is in other countries it's just not in ours which is um, a bit disappointing but um, one day hopefully it'll happen well, it sounds like a, a terrific event, this, but we do need an opposition to uh, to, to round this off. Um, now, the opposition will be an actual team that did exist at, at some point um, of, of any time in, in history, up to you, but uh, who would be your, your all-time opposition? 
So I'd go for the Coventry Bees team that finished the season in 2005. Right, okay. And can you name any of the riders? 2005. Um, would Scott Nichols be one? He is one. Think of another Coventry legend that would be... They're still riding now, and they were they were teammates for a, a premiership title... Last year, Coventry 2005. Um, he's also, he's also, I don't know if this would work because he's also in my Chris Harris. Well done, <laughs> yeah. Um, right, um, Stuart Robson. Nope, that's a bit before. I was just thinking for the for the strength, the strength that this uh, the team had that could go that could actually be a match for for my team. That was all. <laughs> Have you got the full lineup then? You remember him? I haven't got the full line, but I just. Well, remember off the top of my head. So there was um, Sebastian Ulamek, um Jonas Kilmacorpy, uh, uh, Billy Janeiro, maybe. Chris Harris, uh, Billy Janeiro, Jonas Kilmacorpy, Scott Nichols, Morton Rosea, and Martin Smolinski. Good team, good team, that. Yeah, pretty strong lineup, and and certainly did the job that year, didn't it? It did do the job. I remember um, just being. That's when I kind of first joined Coventry as a as an asset. And yeah, just to go and see riders like that in the pits, and um, yeah, it would sort of give you so real incentive to to try and push on and and emulate what they're doing. A, a great um, a great dream meeting. I'm sure you won't have any problem flogging tickets for that with that lineup. <laughs> uh, it'd be but pretty pretty good. Um, thanks for joining us, Adam, and and talking about your your times. And um, hopefully, 2023 is um, is another good one for you. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a pleasure talking to Ian. And, uh, yeah, to talk about Speedway, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just an honour and, and, and a privilege. So thank you very much for having me on. Thanks very much to Adam Roynan, my guest on this episode of Humans of Speedway. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And don't forget, if you want to not miss out on any future episodes, like or subscribe or whatever you have to do on your app of choice uh, so you get uh, the latest one delivered straight to you as soon as it arrives. Um, and check out some of the previous episodes as well. There's loads to go at. There's almost two years in our back catalogue. Riders including Jeremy Doncaster, Gary Havelock, Kelvin Tatum, Chris Morton and many more besides on Humans of Speedway. And we'll catch you next time on the next episode of Humans of Speedway, which hopefully will be along very, very soon. Podcast Network.